Welcome to the Escaping the Accountant's Trap podcast. It's a podcast to help accountants, CPAs, and bookkeepers escape what we call the accountant's trap. It's where accountants are not getting paid for their value and are forced to work long hours with high demanding clients with little pay. Well, how do you escape the trap? One way is the topic of today's episode, and that's becoming a better consultant. And to help with the discussion, I've invited Ed Kless from Sage, who is an expert on consulting consultants. Ed, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Adam. I really appreciate it. I'm turning the tables. You uh, you were on my podcast a little bit ago, so That's I appreciate right. the the invite. Yes, and that was a really good podcast. So if anybody listening, check it out. Um, what's the name of the podcast? The Sage Thought Leadership Podcast. I've been doing it about ten years. We have got over a thousand episodes wow. in the can. So excellent. Well, speaking of thought leader, you are a expert, a thought leader on meta consulting. <laughs> and as we were talking pre-show, you said a meta consultant is a consultant to the consultant. <laughs> so explain that. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a self-given title that I've come up with. This this concept of meta consulting. I think it was I don't know. It was during COVID. I think that it that it that it kind of came to me that I spent most of my career working with or for people who do consulting themselves. So the idea of of being a consultant to consultants led to the idea of meta consulting and that there are concepts around the discipline of consulting that many people in the professions don't really understand and don't or they they understand it they and sometimes I will give a presentation where I talk about this and they're like I've been talking about that for years but you gave me a name for it you gave me understanding about what it is that we're really talking about so hence that's the that's the idea of meta consulting all right well let's dive in so so what I guess, how do you define an effective consultant? As, as business advisors, CFOs, essentially what we're doing is consulting. We're guiding our clients to have a better business, and that's what they want from us. So how do you sort of frame what a successful consultant looks like? Well, I mean, a, a, consult, a successful consultant is defined by their customers being successful. So that, that there's there's the answer. But let, let, me, let me back up and just talk about what does it to mean to be a consultant okay. versus what is called by others as a surrogate manager. And a, and a consultant is a person who has uh, some influence over an individual group or organization, but, and this is an important part, has no direct authority mm. to make decisions. Okay. And I think that it is, it's really important to keep that in mind, that if, if you want to stay in the consulting role, you don't make decisions on behalf of those you serve. Now, there's another role which I'll call surrogate manager. And by the way, this is based on the work of, of Peter Block, which um, if your audience hasn't read, you should absolutely read just about everything that Peter Block has ever written, including all four editions of his book called Flawless Consulting. Okay. <laughs> but uh, so he, he has this thing called a surrogate manager. And this is a person who in a position who acts on behalf of or in place of a manager. In other words, a surrogate manager has been invested the authority to make decisions on behalf of someone. Okay. And I think it's an important point, a delineation point to say that a consultant can come up with what I'll call the Ford model. They can they can come up with findings, here's what I found. They can come up with here's some options to take care of what the what I found as to the problem. They can even make recommendations. I think you should do this and here's why or maybe here's a couple different uh, based on the options of the three that I'm I'm talking about, this is the one I would pick and why. But a consultant does not make the decision. Now, there's nothing wrong, by the way, with being a surrogate manager. I mean, I, I think that surrogate managers can be great, and and but I do think that it has to be clear 
in the at the beginning of the relationship, which which one are they looking for? Because you cannot be both. Those two things are mutually exclusive. And I think where people get stuck is when they go enter a role thinking they're one and the the customer is really looking for the other. Mm. Um, so I want to make that abundantly clear up front. Are you investing in it or are you giving me the authority to make decisions on your behalf or will you make all decisions and I will just bring you options and even make some recommendations, but you will make all decisions. Mm. And I think that's a, that's an important point of clarity for a lot of folks. Yeah, I think so too. And I think a lot, especially for those that are bookkeepers or controllers or even fractional CFOs, because there's this gray, this gray line that you are performing the task. As a bookkeeper, you're performing certain tasks. You are sort of acting on behalf of the client, performing certain tasks, getting a job done. Same with the CPA, doing the taxes. But when you're wearing your consultant hat, it's completely different. It, you're, it's, it really is. I agree with you. The Ford model, you're finding, uh, finding out what's going on, recommending options, but you're not making the decision. You're not actually right. doing something. You're guiding Mm -hmm. and, and, and if you do, if you want to get a, do have a model where you do make decisions on behalf, I think that's great. Just make sure that you price appropriately for it. Cause I think that's the, the other thing when you are in the, in the mode of surrogate manager, where you are making decisions on behalf of someone, that's a much a higher risk position for you to be in. And as a result, you should get paid commiserately for that additional risk that you're taking on. Uh, and I think that that's it makes complete and total sense. And I think where a lot of people get caught is they start doing making decisions, but they don't change the nature of the relationship um, from a price perspective. Interesting. OK, Let, let's actually dive into that a little bit more making decisions, because a lot of people that, that we talk to accountants, bookkeepers, CPAs, they don't want to make decisions because they have this sort of a, this, this idea that they're not they have this imposter syndrome or their advice is not on par where it should be. So they don't want to make decisions. But what we tell them is you're not supposed to make decisions. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to point out the problem areas and recommend solutions, kind of exactly what you were referring to with the Ford model. So how do you, how do you talk or consult with consultants who are dealing with this sort of imposter syndrome or this idea that they just are not equipped to... Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think this probably affects accountants more than any of the other professions more than, and that is this, this notion of, I shouldn't be making decisions because for a long, long time that was highly frowned upon <laughs> by the, by the accounting profession. Yeah. I think that's changed a little bit, but, um, I, I, I do think that it, I think part of it is just simply clarity of relationship, right? If, so if you go into the relationship and say, I'm not going to make decisions for you, I think then you're okay. I think when the expectation from the customer is that you are going to make decisions and you don't, that's where the conflict occurs. Yeah. Or vice versa. If you start making decisions and the, and the customer is like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That <laughs> was supposed to be me. <laughs> Right. You know, um, so and that's why I think, you know, vagueness is the enemy of strategy here. Right. So and, and really deciding whether or not you want to be just a consultant or a surrogate manager is a strategic decision mm -hmm. on the firm's part or on your part. If you're just an individual, that is a that is a strategic decision. It is a strategy, not a strategic plan. I think that's another thing that, I, that becoming more and more clear 
in the last six months is that there's there's a grand confusion among what is strategy versus what is a strategic plan. And these things get conflated all the time. And they're very different things. A strategy is just something like that. Am I going to be consultant? Or am I going to be a surrogate manager? I'm going to be different ones to different people. What's my strategy? Mm-hmm. And then the plan is how you effectuate that and put that in place in your organization. Yeah. Hey there, Adam here from the Escaping the Accountant's Trap podcast. I'd like to personally invite you to a free masterclass that we're conducting this Thursday called How to Start a CFO Service. To register, just go to thecfoproject.com and click free training at the top. See you then. We look at it as strategy versus tactics. Sure. (laughs) There's two different things. A tactic is not a strategy. For example, a strategy is is, uh, like a marketing strategy. How am I going to get clients? A tactic is doing Facebook ads mm-hmm. or going right. to BNI or something to that effect. Yep. Yep. Completely so different. cool. So in terms of uh, just to talk a little bit more about the guiding, not doing we're big advocates. I completely agree with what you're saying. We're big advocates for asking the right questions, mm-hmm. which will help the client figure out how to understand what they need to focus on. Sure. There's an art to asking the right questions versus having the right answers. You don't need to have the right answers. You just have the right questions. Yes, I would wholly agree with that. And I, and and one one of the the big meta consulting ideas around question asking um, also comes from from Peter Block and his book called The Answer to How Is Yes, which is a great title. Okay. The Answer to How Is Yes. Uh, and in this book, he he posits something pretty interesting, and that is that. In most consulting opportunities, we are dealing with six and only six questions. How do you do it? How long will it take? How much does it cost? How do you get those people to change? How do you measure it? And how have other people done it successfully? <laughs> That's it. Okay, say right? those again. All right. How do you do it? How long will right. it take? How much does it cost? How do you get those people to change? How do you measure it? How have other people done it successfully? Okay. Now, these are the questions that are often asked by the prospect or customer, even if it's a, your, if it's your, your situation. Okay. The issue that he points out that as a consultant is that these questions are they're fi- they're fine questions. There's nothing mo- you know morally inferior about these questions. He says, but they are often, and I love this point, asked and answered too early in the process. Mm. So it's not the fact that. They are just asked because the person is, who is who is asking is going to be because they're very practical. All of these questions are extraordinarily practical and people who ask them are perceived as smart. But oftentimes they are asked and answered too early. So what he does is he, he, he proposes a series of what he calls what matters questions that are the counter remedy to these questions. So let's take the, the the last one and say, how have others done this successfully? This is a, AKA the reference question, right? Okay. <laughs> have you worked with others who have done this successfully? So how have others done this successfully? That's a fine question. It's an important question. But the question that you really need to ask and answer first or more fully before you ask that is, what is it that we want to create together? 
Because picture if the Wright brothers had asked the questions how, of, of how have others done this successfully on their way from Dayton, Ohio to Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. So Wilbur, how have other people done this powered man flight thing successfully? Well, Wilbur, I did some research in the uh, Dayton library and it wasn't really good because I came up with this Icarus Daedalus guy and wax in the wings crash into the river. That didn't work out so well. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci. Perhaps the greatest mind ever designed no less than four flying machines, but none of them get off the ground. Actually, one of them kind of hops up and down until it destroys itself on the launch pad. Oh, you're right, world. Well, the hell with it. Let's go back to the bicycle shop, right? So if you ask how have others done it successfully, you are stifling any possibility of innovation. Yeah, because you're going to put yourself in a box. Right. So if, if that's where you start and a lot of people do with yeah. how have others done this, whatever this is successfully, mm-hmm. you're, there's no possibility of innovation, which is frightening to me. But if you instead ask, what do we want to create together? What's what is the desired outcome? What is the what is the envisioned future that we have? And we f- and we and we and we define that. Then we will probably ask the question that the Wright brothers asked themselves. Once they decided that what they wanted was flying machine is what can we learn from others who have attempted this? Mm. And of course the others who have attempted this and Oh, by the way, did it successfully were birds. And what they observed then was that the, the bird wings were, were, were flexible yeah. and would move, move with the currents. And that that's where they had the idea for the wings that would, uh, would si- simulate the bird wings, not fixed wing, but w- would move with the aerialons and all of that stuff. And that's where they got this insight. But if they had focused on how have other men done this successfully, they, they could not possibly in- innovate. So Block points out in these series of questions, I can r- recite them all, but the other six are, but I prefer that people read the book okay. <laughs> because it, <clears throat> There's some really important things, including the, the well, I'll do, do one more quickly, but the idea of what, do, how do you measure it? Because that one, there's a cult of measurement in business today. I call them pantometrists. They want to measure like absolutely everything. Um, and because they, because they believe the, the, you know, what you can me- measure, you can manage that, yeah. that, which Peter is Drucker. attributed to Peter Drucker. Yeah. He never said it. So if you ever, he never, ever really? said no. Peter Drucker did not say that. Okay. He didn't say the opposite either. What you can't measure, you can't manage. What he said was something like this, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it's more close. What you measure, you will get. Okay. That's different from what you can measure, you can manage, (laughs) right? What you measure, in other words, if you measure, for example, in a professional firm, hours, you're going to get hours. Okay. You're going to get them. Are you going to get successful customers? Not necessarily, because that's not what you're measuring, mm. yeah. <laughs> right? So what you measure, you will get. So what you so the the replacement for 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 a question for um, how do you measure it is what is the judgment that we need to make? Because if you really think about it, every measurement is really a judgment in disguise. Because what we're doing is we're deciding that the thing we're measuring is the thing that's important. And I think oftentimes it's not, it shouldn't be. And in, in some cases it can cause actual harm. Famous case, the, the national health service in the, in the UK put a measurement around that people were being brought into emergency rooms and weren't being seen fast enough. Mm -hmm. 
So they they created this rule that said, okay, every hospital in in the system has to see a, a patient within or a, a patient that comes into the emergency room must be seen by a medical professional within 30 minutes of crossing the threshold. Mm. Right? And guess what they got? They got it got they got it down. However, what you they also got was ambulances being lined up outside the emergency room because since the people knew that the measurement was once they crossed the threshold, we've got to see them within 30 minutes. They left them in the line. And now you have ambulances lined up outside where people are not getting care. And Uh, oh, by the way, now there's not ambulances available to go get other people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So what you measure, you will get. (laughs) But is it the right thing to be measuring? Is it the, uh, are you making the right judgment about what to measure? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of vanity. I mean, you're right. There's a lot of vanity numbers in, in business and a lot of people measure. Even just to something as simple as the P&L, 80% of the P&L is taken up by low-level expenses <laughs> and, right. and that, that don't matter in the grand scheme of things usually. And, and, and one, of my, one of my biggest mantras about the P&L, because this brings in my, my pricing ideas too, yeah. is that the we should take discounts should not be taken off of revenue and then shown revenue less discount discounts should be moved all the way to the bottom line because a discount is is not an expense it is a reduction of profit so we should the line should be profit before discounts (laughs) discounts profit after discounts interesting Okay. Because if you really think about it, a discount is, it doesn't change cost structure at all. Yeah. Right? So it's really off the bottom line, (laughs) not the top line. And when you put, when you frame it that way, people are like, oh my God, we are giving away far too many discounts. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) That's that's a a topic I would like to get into. We just don't have a lot of time for that. Um. This is very interesting. So, so Peter Block, and you know, we're we're almost out of time. But Peter Peter Block, what's the book that you recommend? The answer the, to the two of them, but the answer to how is yes. That's okay. for the, the the questions, but also his book and any of the editions. So the fourth edition is just out called uh, Flawless Consulting. So that would be the other one that I would recommend. Okay, the Flawless Consulting. Before we run out of time, pricing. What is your views on how? consultants, in our case, business advisors, CFOs should price? Subscription-based. Become huge proponent of subscription. Um, many of the, I also, in addition to the Sage Thought Leadership Podcast, I also do one with a guy by the name of Ron Baker, who is the grandfather of the value pricing movement. Oh. But we we uh, we have done a show for 10 years called The Soul of Enterprise. And for the last four or probably five years now, we've been exploring this topic of subscription-based pricing okay. uh, often on, on, on the shows that we do. Uh, if you go to the soul of enterprise.com, there's the top, there's like a show topic. So you can click and see all of the shows that we've done on, on subscription. But I, I firmly believe that subscription puts the relationship at the center of, of the, of the, uh, of the, that most of being the most important thing. So what is, how, how do we effectuate this relationship? And I think that's why it's more important. Yeah. Right. So subscription pricing is the thing that does that best when properly in, in, um, when properly implemented. Yeah, I agree. Because the hourly billing people, well, first of all, you're not charging for your value. You're charging for your time. And second off, a lot of, a lot of uh, clients, customers, business owners, they don't 
have any insight as to why you're spending all this time doing something because they have no idea what you're doing. I would even take it a step further. Get rid of your timesheet completely. Yeah. Jettison the timesheet. There's no reason for you to be tracking time at all. Zero. It, the, 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 I do this experiment. You like this, Adam. So I, I, mean, I have a room full of, say, a couple hundred uh, accounting professionals. And I'll say, raise your hand if you've ever filled out a timesheet. And every hand goes up, right? Yeah. And then I say, keep your hands up if you've ever not put on the timesheet what exactly happened, either too few hours or too many hours. And every hand stays up. And I say, so, and then you're going to, then some of you are going to argue with that, that you need your timesheets so you can measure actual costs. <laughs> Yeah, it's <laughs> but it's not actual anything. It's optimal because yeah. you put on the timesheet, not what actually happened, but either what you think should have happened or <laughs> what the customer thinks should have happened or what your boss thinks should have happened. Yeah. And that happens a lot <laughs> outside of timesheets too. <laughs> so time to get rid of them. They got to go. And cool. thank you so much for being on the show. Where can somebody learn more about you and your other podcasts and Sage in general? Yep, uh, sage.com is 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 the website to go to. Uh, we've got we've got lots of products in the accounting space. Um, probably our, our uh, biggest uh, one that m- most people are interested in nowadays is Sage Intact, uh, which is a fantastic sub- subscription based, um, you know, multi tenant in the cloud. Everything, all the bells and whistles you could possibly want from an accounting solution perspective. But as far as me personally, if you go to edclass.com. Uh, you'll find the links to all my other properties, including the Soul of Enterprise and Sage Lot Leadership Podcast, et cetera. Very cool. Well, we'll put those links in our show notes. Ed, thank you so much for being on the show today. My honor and pleasure, Adam. Thanks for having me. And to everyone listening or watching, thank you so much for spending the last few minutes with us as we discussed how to escape the accountant's trap. Bye for now. (laughs) 